happy Friday, Ivory Tower Boiler Room listeners. Wow, I usually am not saying that because the interviews come out on a Monday, but this is an exclusive bonus episode. There will be more of these episodes to come in our spring season. So be on the lookout. They will come out on Fridays and they either will be a Patreon feature or they will be an exclusive um, author interview. Well, today we get both. This is a Patreon corner interview, but it's also with JP Garland, who is going to talk all about why he was inspired by Gilded Age literature to write his current novels. So before we get into the interview, you're going to hear um, about 20 minutes of it. So I give you enough. You know, I want you all to know what to expect. And for J.P. Garland to explain what drew him to the Gilded Age. And then you have to head on over to our Patreon to hear the rest. So patreon.com slash ivory tower boiler room. It is as low as buying your favorite iced oat milk, brown sugar latte at Starbucks. Yes, I am obsessed. And I want to thank our current Patreon subscribers. They currently now include... Kathy and David Rimby, sounds familiar. Yes, those are my parents. And Joe, thank you so much, Joe Milholland. I can't wait to shout out more of you out there. So become a Patreon subscriber. You're going to get a shout out. And I know Mary on True Crime and Academia is doing the same thing. So go to our Patreon because not only do you get access to this full audio, which is going to last an hour, you're only hearing about a third of it. Um, also, when we interviewed Robert Jones Jr., there was another extra 40 minutes, but you have to be a Patreon subscriber to hear the rest. Also, we have so many video interviews. You actually get to see their faces and you get to see our faces on the team. Um, so become a Patreon subscriber and also get our merchandise. We have mugs and tote bags and T-shirts. OK, so without further ado. I am so excited for y'all to hear my interview with J.P. Garland. Okay, bye everyone. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hi, this is Andrew Rimby, and I am joined here with author Joseph Garland, and this is the Ivory Tower Boiler Room. And I was already talking a lot with Joe about the Gilded Age, and if you are a Gilded Age fan and you love historical fiction, you are in the right spot. So, um, Joe, you were just telling me so much about the history that you had to study of the train lines in the New York City suburbs. So, well, first, welcome to the Ivory Tower Boiler Room. Thank you, I'm glad to be here. Um, So there's gonna be a lot of discussions that we have about how you balance different careers, but 
right away, can you just explain? It seems that you are really infatuated with um, the history of the Gilded Age. So what sparked that curiosity? Why the Gilded Age? Well, I, you know, I, the, um, the point it started with the first book, which is Roisin Campbell. And you, you, you asked me at one point, why did I pick that time? Um, and what happened was that I came up with the idea for a, a story based upon someone who was a maid and advanced. Um, and so I did, what I decided to do is that, okay, I had no clear notion at that point of when my, my uncle, my people came from Ireland. I have a much better notion of when my people came from Italy. But so I thought, why don't I pick a time period around where I think it would be? And it turned out that some of the people came earlier. So the oldest came in 1850. But I said, well, let's go with about 1870. Because I knew my great grandfather came from Ireland, was baptized in 1854 and probably came in the 1870s. So, okay, let me pick 1870. Now I'm, in a, now I'm in a time period where I have all sorts of things going on. On the Irish side, um, it's, it's after the, the worst part of the famine or the hunger, but people are still coming over. And more generally in the US, we're right after the Civil War and we're really developing a lot of what becomes known as the Gilded Age and the separation of the, the increasing wealth. And so, and at that point, you're also getting wealth from three major sources beyond the old, old school sources. Number one, you're getting money made during the Civil War. Number two, you're getting made, money made from, I know this will shock you, you're getting money made in New York real estate. Um, fortunes were made and lost in New York real estate in the post-Civil War period, like you wouldn't believe. I mean, it's always been like that. People were buying land in Queens, planning on building villages there um, and whatnot. And, and you're also beginning to get money coming from two other sources, from largely Western Pennsylvania with oil mm -hmm. and also from railways. Railways are going everywhere. I think the golden spike was, I think, in 1869. And railways are important to, A, to the book, and actually to the finance, the worldwide finance, American railway. Yeah, the railroad. We're also running into incredible changes in the technology. And this is a problem for a writer at the period. You, you always have to say, well, did they have plumbing? Hmm. What about lights? They didn't hmm. have electricity, but what kind of lights did they have? Uh, transportation, communication, the things we take for granted. Um, how, how do people get from point A to point B? Uh, how do people communicate? Mm -hmm. uh, what was the status of telegraph? Uh, things like that. Mm -hmm. So I'm trying to put all of those things together. So that's why the Gilded Age is riddled with things going on. And in a sense, you want to talk about it, you have the, the framing between um, an age of innocence and Edith Wharton's view of the wealthy. And then in 1890, you have Jacob Rees writing How the Other Half Lives mm -hmm. on the upper, on the lower east side, where I've learned a big portion of my family's work at that period. So you have this, this, this discrepancy 
that is highlighted in those two works, one being fiction and one being nonfiction. Mm. But you can see the just the development in New York City of all of these variants. And of course, by that point, you're having more and more Germans coming, who've been coming for a significant period, but you have Italians, you have Eastern European Jews and whatnot in the, in the, in the shirtwaist fire, they were mostly Russian and Jewish people. Um, so you have this developing hierarchy of the lower classes in New York. And for the Irish in particular, you had the great political um, clout that the Irish had. But at that, you know, from all the information out there, you see that Tammany was in power for a while. Then the reformers were in power for a while. Then Tammany was in power and the reformers were in power back and forth, back and forth. Uh, one just one twist on it. I plan on having a scene set in the, in the in Tweed Courthouse in Lower Manhattan. And I learned that it was like half built that when I went in 1875 because it was a corruption. The reformers were in were in power and there were all these corruption issues. So I had to find I had to make up an old courthouse downtown for my courthouse. Wow. <laughs> well, and just so you know, all who are joining us, and you know, if you become an Ivory Tower Patreon member, you can actually see these, you know, you can see Joe's gesticulations and what I'm holding up, but I'll make sure for all of you out there, you see his books on our social media. But so the right pronunciation is, how do you say her first name, your female protagonist? Uh, yeah, Roisin. Like Ro Roisin. Roisin. It means little, it means little rose. Little roads? Little uh, rose. And I, it, I was just searching searching for an Irish name, and that's the name I picked. There's no particular significance beyond that. It's always, but how is it pronounced? I've seen it pronounced as Rochine. So. Yeah, well, and um, so you said it means Little Rose. Correct. Little Rose, okay. So Rochin Campbell is your first, well, it's in the two novel series, right? New York, what is your series called, Joe? I'm sorry, what is it? It's not, well, it, it, I began with 1870 and I call it a New York City world or something. Okay. So, you know, because when you go on Amazon, you can pick a series name. That's what I picked. So these okay. The, the, the Roisin and the studio are the first two uh, books in that pack. Yeah, so you have Roisin Campbell, an Irish woman in New York, and then a studio on Bleecker Street, a Gilded Age novel, and what I really like is on your back of a studio on Bleecker Street, you make it very clear that this is not a sequel. Like, even though there are some scenarios or characters, it's not a one-to-one. -one. We're not following Roisin into No, the and the reason part. for that is, Andrew, um, and by the way, the cover is our uh, John Sinkins. I, I've been using I've been using his cover art called cover yeah. art uh, for my older book. Um, yeah, beautiful John Singer uh, Sargent. One, Roisin, that's actually his. Yes, Roisin is actually his youngest sister, Violet. Wow. Who, with whom he, he was he was much younger than her, and she, he was very close to Violet. The other one, I, I know who it is, but I I don't know the, the relationship, of course, uh, with um between Stinger and her as mom. And the, 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 you, what happened was when I finished Roisin, um, there's, a, there's a final scene outside of Courthouse on Worth Street in Manhattan. And someone suggested, why don't I, I what happened to these characters? 
Mm. And I, instead of doing a sequel, what I did is within buried within the book is uh, just a single line about one of the secondary characters called Emily. Her name is Emily Connor, Connors, and it says that she, she had she, they were up in Stockbridge, which is in Western Massachusetts, which is a town just south of Lenox and Lynch Mountains. Okay. So Lenox and, and Stockbridge were places where um, New Yorkers went. Um, mm -hmm. And I mentioned there that uh, it was winter. Um, I mentioned railways earlier. Well, it turned out that both the Connor family and the Garrity family um, were um, lost a lot of money in September 1873, what became known as the Panic of 1873, which was perhaps the first worldwide panic that wiped out a significant amount of value in stock markets all over the United States and all over Europe. It was a, a railway thing by a, run by a Philadelphia financier that went completely belly up. Hmm. And that there was a second railway investment that both the Garrity family and the Connors hoped to make, make get back. That turned out to be a scam, so they all had to flee the city. And I mentioned that Emily to move in with someone in the city who had artistic ambitions. Hmm. So I had now that line. I said, what character from the first book do I want to build on? So hmm. I built on Emily. And then I said, okay, she's meeting, she's with, she moves in with an artist. So then I built the story about Clara Bowman. Um, as the artist who then who, who has a studio on Bleecker Street. And the importance of Clara, and so what happens is I now have a book that begins in 1872 because it actually begins before Emily leaves Stockbridge. So I have to have, they have, to have a relationship. Mm -hmm. And over the course, I, I decided what I wanted to do is what happens with some of the major characters in Roshni? So how do I do that? Well, and I, I, you know, this is not really a spoiler, but about halfway through the studio, Emily and Clara are sitting on Lafayette. Um, Emily is a, the artist and she's sketching a band. And Emily is sitting across from her. Emily, who by the way, has a job as a, as a waitress, although she comes from a very high school family. The family lost such money, she's working just to find a job. So they're sitting there and Emily is looking at the newspaper. And she mm. says, you know, you know uh, uh, Mary McNatt? Turned out Clara had done a portrait of Mary McNatt and, and had difficulties with her. And, oh, that, and Clara says, oh, that horrible woman, why do you mention her? She hands across the newspaper and there's an article that tells the story of the very last scene in Roshan. Uh, so that triggers, let's get together with I want to go, oh, I've, I've neglected my relationship with Elizabeth. Now, you know, there's a, basically Elizabeth and, and Roisin have what later was known as a Boston marriage. They don't quite understand it, but they live together and whatnot. So that basically begins Emily going to see Elizabeth meeting Roisin and then and Clara gets involved. And so we get to find out then that the, the point being, we get to find out what happened to Roisin and Elizabeth and a number of the other characters from the first book, but they're, they're secondary characters in the second. But that was the way I dealt with it. So, yeah. Well, and. But one of the themes from the second book 
Yeah, I'm sorry. Let, I'll let you ask questions. I yeah, no, no. I just want to ask, which is you have two very different protagonists. Rasheen Campbell is a working class Irish immigrant. And, you know, Clara Bowman um, is from a Protestant background and from old money. So, like, I was just curious, you're going in very two different protagonist directions. Like, what maybe inspired that? Or did you know that you wanted to show both sides of the coin? Well, that was important to me because, because I can just say these um, um, a wealthy. Now you have to remember that, you know, there, as one of the characters says in, in, in one of the books, I forget which one, you know, we may seem like we being the fashionable society in New York City may seem like we're one big family, but they're actually a bunch of little family, little neighborhoods of people. And we really don't pay that much attention to the others, except now and then when a scandal comes up, you know, then we go back to whatever we're doing. Okay, so I'm just think of the size of New York City at that period in the 1870s, and somehow you have this image that it's like imagine up in Lenox, Massachusetts, a, mm -hmm. a limited universe of people, but there are a lot of people um, who are wealthy, a lot of people in the society. So you had these appearing tears, and you, people were like the Garrities were Catholic, and they made most of the money during the Civil War, mm. and they lost them in the 1870s, but. They were Catholic and they were below another family in that book, which were the Reynolds, who were Protestant and much higher up in, in, in the stratosphere. But as I've noted, the Garrities would never be in Mrs. Astor's 400. Um, so with, I, I've always been fascinated what happens with the with people. Characters seem to always, particularly women characters, and if you look at what would have happened to Elizabeth Bennett if she didn't ended up with, um, if she didn't end up with um, Mr. Darcy. Yes. I mean, if you look at Austin, the only character I can think who did not get a lot of, end up marrying financially well was Eleanor Dashwood in um, Sense and Sensibility. All the others end up with rich people. What, happened, what would happen if a, a woman decided she didn't want to go that route? And that mm -hmm. is the theme of, of, of studio. Not only with Clara and with Kyrie, she's going along. This is the first chapter, so it's no big deal. She's going along and she finds out, you know, she's gonna, about to be, you know, she expects to be married to her best friend's brother who mm -hmm. she grew up with. Uh, I couldn't have them engaged, as I mentioned to you, because if they were engaged, they ran into all these mourning, M-O-U-R-N-I-N-G issues at that period. I, they were much stricter, I think, in, the, in England than in the U.S., but I didn't want to, so they were like, everyone knew they were going to get engaged and, he, and, and, the, and the guy died. It's still in the train wreck in Hollis, Queens, in yeah. May of 1872, on a rainy day, and with her, with her best friend. And she's like, okay, she gets sent to London with her mother, and she starts thinking, maybe I don't want to do what I'm supposed to do, which is get married. And she meets someone in London, who's an artist in Regent's Park, who sits with her and says, look, I don't, I don't, my father has let me do this, figuring I'll tire of it, and then I'll do what I'm supposed to do. I'll marry of our class. And she says, for now, I'm enjoying myself. So that Clara says, well, I'll, I'll do that as well. So she comes back and she begs her father to, to, to give her six months to go down to Greenwich Village and see if she can become an artist. Hmm. Father and her mother are like, 
okay, we'll give you, we'll cut you some slack, but you're not getting any younger. And so, okay, we'll give you six months. You can get your act together. Then you'll come back and mm -hmm. you'll marry someone just as your sister did. Your mm -hmm. older sister got married and you'll get married in the um, Church of the Incarnation on 35th and And everything will be good. Fine. So that, that really begins the process of Clara saying, well, maybe I don't want to do what I'm expected to do. I don't want to marry and have kids. Now, now, unlike Emily, who gets a job because there's no money, Clara is supported by her father. Yeah. Um, to be to, to have this, but she mentions, and at this period in New York, uh, art was growing, was booming, and middle class people were coming and doing it. Okay. She's not middle class, so I have it set up in a, in a little school with the guy, and half the people have middle class backgrounds and don't pay tuition, and the other half are like her. They, they they're being supported by their parents. Um, but that is the theme of that book. Together with, and just jumping ahead, one of the main characters in that book is put in a position where she's given some rope to do what she wants to a point to marry someone who's a lawyer, but not, and not a, you know, well, that's another thing her father says when she wants to, she wants to marry him. He's, he has a job. This is in England. He has a job. What's it? He can't take care of you. And so he, instead of getting what she would normally have gotten, yeah. marrying someone she gets much less barely enough and she will reach the point where she has to decide as a number as, El as elizabeth does in the first book can i afford to cut myself off from my father mm. and cut myself off from the money and mm. doing a practical analysis of what are we going to live on what is my husband what are my children going to live on mm. and that's a decision that she makes in the, in the studio and then separately, Elizabeth has to make in Rochine. That was the point going back to, you know, going back to Austin and whatnot. Making a decision to, 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 um, um, to live without the, the financial background of what would have happened. You know, we go back, I'm not an expert in, in House of Mirth, but, you know, what happened? And obviously there would be no story if this would happen. What if Lily had just decided with Sheldon in the very beginning, say, okay, well, you know, what the hell with it? We can, I, we can survive on what we make. But, you know, obviously there's no book in that case. But that was what I was trying to do with all these characters from the woman's perspective, the upper class woman, say, look, can I survive? Can I, as a practical member, live? And as I say, um, Emily gets a job first as a, as a waitress. Um, Roisin, coming from the other angle, she's a maid, gets dismissed. She becomes a clerk at Lord and Taylor. Yeah. Which, I don't know if Lord and Taylor was hiring women in that. Then what are the jobs other than you know, seamstresses and whatnot? Certain, but certain of the department stores that had moved from Lower Manhattan to the Ladies Mile between fifth and sixth in the, in the high teens and the low twenties, some mm -hmm. of them were hiring women salespeople. So Rochine becomes a sales uh, at Lord and Taylor, and then you know, but she has to work. They have the jobs. These people have to work. That's the thing. And that's what I always found. Um, one thing I, I, I wanted to note, I, I took a look at this. This is very early in Roisin, where she's, she's um, going to mass and there's, a, there's an accident with a little carriage, a two-seat, a two-wheel two track. And she helps the, the, the guy and a woman, and she helps them. And it turns out the woman has a lot of blood on her, but it's his blood. But they're not husband and wife, okay? 
So what she says is, so Roshin is taking her home. This one will never is, is an upper class woman. Um, and as they're riding, um, the woman says to Roshin, you know, Roshin says, but do you not care about his condition, Roshin? Of course I care, but he is not a real friend, just someone to break up the boredom of my life and the proper friends I have and the events I must attend. You are lucky to have a job. It gives you something to do. Hmm. That's another thing I wonder about in these in these old stories. You know, what the what did what did Elizabeth Bennett do during the day? You know? Exactly. <laughs> well, and I think it's so important that you bring up such prominent um authors of inheritors which is who you've turned to for inspiration jane austen and her marriage plot conventional um well conventional in the sense of they need to get married the women need to get married to rise up in their social situation but yeah edith wharton really puts a screw in all that and turns it on its head but unfortunately her protagonist end up usually in some compromised situation. And what I think is so important in your work, Joe, is that you're really bringing to bear the humanity of um, like realist conditions. And Clara, especially with Clara, you know, she is, has a voice and is so independent and does not wanna rely on like a patriarchal convention, like where Edith Wharton, the character just can't separate, but like, you're not interested in them falling into despair. And I think that's really important. Like, can you talk about that independent spirit that you imbued Clara with? There is so much more to my interview with Joseph Garland. So, how can you listen? You have to become a Patreon subscriber to listen to the rest. It is really easy. Go to patreon.com slash ivory tower boiler room. Um, you'll see a link in our show notes. And you're going to hear Joseph and I talk a lot about the Gilded Age. And if we know anything of how critics are responding to the new HBO series, um, we recorded this right before the series came out. So now it is out and don't worry. I'm going to be recording an episode in a few months doing a whole deep dive of the series. But before them, what I really want you all to do is listen to the rest of this conversation. I know so many of you are 19th century American literature fans and you love Gilded Age mansions and that whole aesthetic. A lot of you are Edith Wharton fans. So I discussed so many topics with Joseph. And make sure that you head on over to Amazon where you can get all of Joseph Garland's books, including Roisin Campbell, a studio on Bleecker Street, and his current book, I Am Alex Locus which just came out. So many thanks to JP Garland. I'm going to call him by uh, his author name. And thank you all for listening. Again, become a Patreon subscriber. Not only will you get to hear the rest of this incredible interview, but you also get access to all video interviews that are up there. You can get merchandise 
Um, I know everyone wants an ivory tower boiler room mug. It is so enjoyable. Um, and thank you all for listening. Make sure you follow us on social media at Ivory Boiler Room on Twitter, at Ivory Tower Boiler Room on our other platforms. So Instagram, TikTok, and Facebook. We have a business page. Also, I want to thank the team. Um, Amanda Rimby, the executive director. Mary DePippi is our chief contributor. Jaron Usta is our marketing director. And our interns are Kimberly Dallas and Nicole Arguello. And you can always reach out to us at um, ivorytowerboilerroom at gmail.com. I always look at the emails. So if you have an episode that you would really like to hear, a topic, maybe you are an author or you are an artist and you want to be interviewed, hey, reach out. Maybe you're a podcaster. We have a lot of pop culture podcasts coming um, out. Reach out to us. Okay. Wishing you all out there good energy, empowering energy, and may you all stay peaceful and manifest your goals. Bye, everyone.